Well, good morning, friends. It's a privilege to engage God's Word with you today as we continue to journey through Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Yesterday, September 25th, three months to Christmas, friends. (laughs) Three months to Christmas. Sometimes we look ahead with anticipation, with expectation, and even when we're not thinking of it, we may walk into a store and there they are already. The decorations are out. Yes, did you see it? Now it seems like all the fall (laughs) is being overshadowed by Christmas. And the scripture that Marcia just read for us from Acts chapter 15 kind of jumps ahead from where we are right now in the book of Galatia. You're seeing what happened because of a disagreement with how we are saved. Is it through faith alone or is it faith plus works? Looking ahead can be hopeful. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, Looking ahead to Christmas always excited me. Yes, I was the one that had the countdown to Christmas on my bedroom door. But looking ahead can also produce fear and anxiety as well, yes? If we try to get too far out ahead instead of taking it day by day. Well, we look ahead as human beings. We also are tend to what? Look back. Look back to the past. And as they say, hindsight is often what? 2020. But it can provide a context and it can also teach us. We can learn from history. We can learn from the past. Those life lessons that many of us have gone through and maybe have passed on to others. Well, as we read the Bible, it is both what? A combination of looking back, but it also can prepare us to look forward to God's promises being fulfilled in God's time and in God's way. In the moment, each day that God gives us a gift of grace. And so when we look back to the story of God's enduring love, his suffering love, to the people whom he created to the same people who broke fellowship with him through sin. It's a story of love and redemption. Even in the midst of hard times. Hard times that many of us are experiencing today. You know, this week I saw a very powerful picture of the painting of Daniel in the lion's den. He's in the den with the lions, and they're all behind him, but he's not facing and looking at the lions. He's looking up to who? God. And even in these hard times that we're living in, may that picture, there's lions all behind us, right? Or in our midst, but let's keep looking up to God. The Bible, friends, should fill us with hope. When Jesus fully restores the brokenness of humanity, we look towards that day and we look back to remember his suffering love, that Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells me 
so. And so this morning as we look at scripture looks ahead, I want to provide also a little context before we get to Galatians 2, okay? We're going to just look back. And I encourage you, if you want to do a little bit of reading in the book of Acts, Luke does a beautiful job of, of really chronicalizing the, the birth of the church and the, the joys and the concerns of the early Christians. And so read, read, start reading through the book of Acts. But this one verse in Acts chapter 11, I want to put it up on the screen for you. This is the, this is the context. When they, the circumcised believers, heard this, Peter's testimony, they had no further objections and praised God saying, what? So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So friends, Jew and Gentile were coming to be followers of Jesus. And people were working through this. And yet God was at work in their hearts and minds and they said, isn't this a wonderful thing? But as we see in Acts chapter 15, the beginning of the story of the Council of Jerusalem, what? There's some arguing going on. There's some dispute going on. Is it faith alone or is it faith plus works? And so friends, the story so far in the book of Galatia, in the book of Galatians, is that Paul is astonished that the Galatian churches are watering down or reversing the truth of the gospel of Jesus, which should bring us grace and peace and all glory to God. If you were to say, what is the truth of the gospel, and to distill that down in your own words, what would you say? What would you write? What do you believe? Well, friends, what we're learning from the Bible as we look back is that the gospel is good news of the justification or being declared righteous before God. It's the justification of a sinful person like me, like you, all initiated by God's grace. The gospel tells us that sinners are accepted by God through faith, faith alone, a simple act of trusting in Jesus, altogether apart from works. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what Paul so desperately fights for. And he takes a stand today. So I invite you to turn with me to the second chapter of Galatians, beginning with verse 11. And I hope you see some context from Acts 11. Well, this is great. Gentiles are coming to Jesus. In Acts 15, there was a dispute because Gentiles were coming to Jesus. And right here, as Paul continues his letter, we see why. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Let's just stop right there for a minute we see another intense encounter, don't we, as Paul continues. Here's Peter, an apostle, the one who served side by side with Jesus, walked with him, was discipled by him, saw him crucified, dead, and buried. And Paul, both to Peter's face and in front of the people of Galatia, had a very intense conversation, a sharp dispute. Many think this is one of the most powerful and dramatic confrontations in the entire New Testament. Peter was standing up for what it says in verse 14, the truth of the gospel. Peter in Acts chapter 10 and 11 had that vision from the Lord, right? That what I have declared clean, you may eat. And so Peter has peace. He starts hanging out with Gentiles, having table fellowship with them. But then <laughs> the leaders from the Jerusalem church, those sent from James, came to Antioch, and all of a sudden, Peter was preaching one thing, but acting differently. And there's no other way to say it. Paul called him out. Paul stood up for the truth of the gospel. It's faith and faith alone. He continues in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified. And by the way, this is the first time Paul introduces the word justified in the book of Galatians. Justified, made or declared completely innocent. Made or declared completely innocent. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So that we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live 
for God. We'll stop there another minute. Paul is saying to Peter and the Judaizers, those who are followers of Jesus but follow the Jew Jewish customs, it is by faith and faith alone. We can even testify to that. Don't you remember? You placed your faith in Jesus Christ as well as you know the law and execute the law. The law in and of itself will not save you because none of us is perfect in keeping the law. We would ring up three strikes pretty quickly. And Paul's reminding those who are trying to add something to the Gentiles' faith conversion, faith plus circumcision, faith plus daily prayers, faith plus memorizing the law of Moses, faith plus giving of alms, Paul says, stop it. <laughs> stop it. It is by faith and faith alone. Paul is practicing courageous authenticity. Standing up even to the leaders of the Jerusalem church to defend and preserve the truth of the gospel. Then the final two verses for this morning, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Friends, Paul exhorts us not to diminish God's grace. Don't set it aside. Receive it. Let it wash over you. God's grace is sufficient for each of us. Do you believe that this morning? God's grace is sufficient. When we seek to obey Christ, when we study the Ten Commandments, when we, when we give our tithes and offerings, when we help those who are suffering, it's not a condition of our salvation. It's our response to God's grace. God's mercy, God's suffering love that produces forgiveness, setting us free. I love this quote from, from Martin Luther, and I cleaned it up a little bit to bring it into 21st century English. <laughs> but this is what Martin Luther has declared. I must listen to the gospel which teaches me, not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel, friends, isn't what we ought to do, what we have to do. It's a reminder that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Don't set aside the grace of God. That powerful word that Paul introduces in his letter to the church at the, to Galatia, justified, being made or declared completely innocent. 
Friends, God's grace is receiving what we don't deserve, right? The gift of salvation. We don't deserve it. By God's mercy, we don't have to experience what we rightly do deserve, right? And that's what? Death, punishment. Jesus stood in that gap. Some of you may be familiar with a saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Now it's attributed to John Bradford in the mid-16th century as he was watching prisoners being led to their execution. There but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last of all, as one to be born abnormally, Jesus appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friends, but for the grace of God, go you. Receive it. Embrace it. Believe it. Dr. John Stott says this, not to trust in Jesus Christ because of self-trust is an insult both to the grace of God and to the cross of Christ, for it declares both to be what? Unnecessary. If we think we have to earn our salvation, what did Jesus die for? May his grace fully and completely wash over you. Jesus' death and resurrection has declared you righteous before God, the status of being in a right relationship with God. As Paul says in verse 21 today, don't set aside the grace of God. Don't set it aside, friends. There's days when you don't feel like you deserve it. There's days when I don't feel like I deserve it. But God's suffering love, his grace, his great grace, washes over you each and every day. It's a gift. It's a gift. Receive it. Remind yourself of the good news of the gospel every day. That through faith, by transferring the trust of your life to Jesus Christ, you are set free. You have been declared righteous. You are justified before God. And that's what Paul, even through all the disagreements... And obviously he and Barnabas got over it because both of them marched back up to Jerusalem another time as Marcia read from Acts chapter 15. And there was another disagreement before the leaders of the Jerusalem church, but they worked through it by what? God's grace. They worked through it by God's grace. God speaks through Paul and calls the Galatians back to the original gospel. We'll see that not once, not twice, but time and time again, especially in his letter to the churches in Galatia. Like the words of an Old Testament prophet, Paul's words cut deep with truth just when we need to hear it. People naturally tend to think they must earn God's approval. You got to try harder. You got to give more. You got to come to church more. You got to serve more. Work, work, work. We like to merit what we possess. Like a trophy. I earned it. You know, this last month, 
I had a problem with my grass not being green. In late August, three distinct brown spots started spreading across my lawn. I was determined this was bugs. Being from Florida, this looked from Florida, this looked awfully familiar. Bugs were feeding on the roots of this grass like candy. Pictures went on my phone, down to the local Ace Hardware store, lawn treatment sprays, the whole deal. I was determined to conquer this. Labor Day weekend, my neighbor who's been in Florida all his life, or excuse me, California all his life, unlike me, I had a little conversation. He said, Brian, I think you just need to water your grass more. How often are you watering your grass? I said, thank you. Maybe, maybe I'll try it. Simply more water, right? I'm trying to be a good steward, keep within a budget, you know, watering once a week. Simply more water. You know, just like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, Jesus offers her what? Living water. Jesus is the living water. Ne never spiritually hunger or thirst again, he tells us. And it's a gift an unmerited gift to receive and open in faith. I need to trust in my life to the one who has paid it all on the cross of Calvary. Now, yes, I need to work on the right amount of H2O to keep my grass green, apparently, and looking healthy, set my, setting my sprinklers and watching my water bill, but I have to do all that. I take responsibility. But let's all take a deep breath this morning, right? Let's all take a deep breath. Jesus gives you a gift today that gives you peace beyond all measure. The gift of salvation and a relationship with the God of the universe. And you are his precious child. Will you receive that promise this morning? And so I just want to leave you with a question today. In what areas of life do you find it most difficult to live in line with the truth of the gospel? What areas do you think you have to, to work harder so Jesus will like you or Jesus will keep loving you? And how do you look at other people who maybe don't worship like you or, or believe exactly like you? Where, where is that judgment coming down? A brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, how do you treat, how do you live out your faith? Just like Paul called out Peter for all of a sudden not wanting to have table fellowship with Gentiles because the leaders of the Jerusalem church were in town. How do you treat others through your actions or words? Might people look at you and say, are you being hypocritical? This is a tough question. In what areas of my life, in what areas of your life, do you find it most difficult to live in line with the truth of the gospel? 
And I just want to close this morning very briefly, and you can't do this justice, but I just want to talk about, sometimes we struggle living in line with the truth of the gospel because I believe we haven't fully embraced Jesus's forgiveness in our lives, fully received it. And that impacts how we might be able to what? Offer forgiveness to others. Why should we forgive people who wrong us? One of the most persuasive reasons for forgiving is that God in Christ has what? Forgiven us. God's forgiveness provides for us a rationale, a model, a motivation to forgive. The more we experience how God has forgiven us, the more we'll be able and even, I hope, eager to forgive others. Forgiveness flows freely from God's grace, his mercy, and his love. I know this is a tough subject, and I know that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And yet, as we look, we look at Paul's courageous authenticity in the book of Galatians, how he stands up for the truth of the gospel. At the core is that you are forgiven in Jesus. And friends, I think if we haven't fully received that and just taken that deep breath and allowed that living water of forgiveness and grace and God's mercy to flow over us, we might have a challenge forgiving others. It would make sense just to simply say, here's something to do. Forgive someone who wrongs you. Go do it. Now, that may be a fine suggestion, but the freedom to forgive comes not only from obedience, but also from your experience of God having forgiven you. And so this morning, as we pray, I want to pray that you would seek the forgiveness of Jesus if you've never done that. By God's grace, by his mercy, by his saving love, he wants to forgive you and invite you in to his forever family. I want us also to pray and thank God that in faith in Christ is all you need to be justified. Amen? May you just have a peace. May you just take a deep breath. Faith in Christ is all you need to be made right with him. It's a relationship. You're a child of God through faith. And also ask God, let's ask God to help us see how to live out the gospel in every area of our lives. And to show us where we have our blind spots, right? <laughs> where we may be holding others to a different expectation than what Jesus does. Let's pray together.